What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. I hope you're having an absolutely fantastic day. Thank you for taking the time to check out the pod. We're talking NBA playoffs. Game 2 between Brooklyn and Philadelphia was last night. Game 2 between the Warriors and the Kings was last night. And Jalen Hurts got paid. It's an absolutely loaded podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Jalen Hurts is your new highest paid quarterback in the NFL, coming in at a whopping $51 million a year. And people are freaking out about this. How is he the highest paid quarterback? He's not the best quarterback in the league. There are several quarterbacks better than him. Why is he getting paid more than all these quarterbacks that he isn't better than? Like, we just saw Patrick Mahomes beat him in the Super Bowl. How can he be making more than Patrick Mahomes? It doesn't make sense. This is just how the quarterback market works. Every time a good quarterback's new contract comes up, they reset the market. That's just what happens. But as the salary cap continues to grow and increase, this won't be that big of a deal once the contracts cycle back through. The interesting thing about this is Lamar Jackson reportedly turned down a very similar deal to what Jalen Hurts you know, obviously signed the dotted line on. You know, I think the only difference is, you know, Lamar Jackson, I think, was guaranteed like $174 million, whereas Hurts is guaranteed like $179 million. So not that big of a difference there. Just, I just, I can't believe Lamar Jackson turned down the deal of being the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. At this point, I don't, I don't feel bad for him no matter what he gets paid. Just, there's, they're not doing the fully guaranteed thing, Lamar. You should have just taken the money when you had the chance to. Now, moving on to the basketball stuff. The Nets do not have the offense or the bodies to beat the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, as good as the 76ers look, though, they're still the third best team in the East if Giannis is healthy. I'll fully get into that here in a minute, but first, I want to talk about Brooklyn. I love Claxton. I really like this team as a whole. A bunch of guys who are scrappy, play defense, and all those things. They just don't have the offense. I really like Bridges. I really like his game. But I think he's a number two. Reminds me a lot of Chris Middleton, just the way that he moves and the way that he shoots the ball. Tall, long, the way that he plays defense. Definitely a two-way guy. That being said, he's young. This is his first opportunity as a true number one. He has to develop into that. But but as of right now, I think he looks more like a two, you know, playing Robin to someone else's Batman. Now, let's talk about the 76ers. Because, look, they're going to handle the Nets. The Nets might get a game. We'll see. Their, back's, their back is against the wall. The Sixers know that they're up 2-0. Maybe, you know, the 76ers come out a little flat. The Nets finally knock down open jump shots. And then the Nets come out with game three. Maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't. Wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if the Philadelphia 76ers were to sweep the Nets. But I'll be honest. The 76ers piss me off. I can't stand them. I cannot stand the Philadelphia 76ers. I can't stand James Harden and the way that he just throws his body into guys and expect to get expects to get foul calls. I am so glad that the officials in this Brooklyn Nets Philadelphia 76ers series have not rewarded him for just flailing his arms. He hasn't attempted a free throw in the first two games, which is the way that he plays. He shouldn't attempt that many free throws. Okay, especially now 
He doesn't attack the rim as much as he used to. And every time he does attack the rim, he's just looking for a call. It's the most frustrating thing. And as frustrating as that is, what's even more frustrating is the amount of times that Nick Claxton, a guy giving up 80 pounds to Joel Embiid, it is frustrating how many times Claxton has quote-unquote knocked him over. The number of times that Joel Embiid has just fallen over the most physically dominant center in the NBA, 7 feet tall, at least 280 pounds, how does he get knocked over as much as he does? I'm so sick of watching it. So sick of watching it. It just mm, grinds my gears. It grinds my gears. I can't stand to watch it. But moving on to the real point that I want to make here, as good as the 76ers team looks, they aren't better than a healthy Milwaukee and they aren't healthy. They aren't better than a healthy Boston. I think that this small ball lineup really gave the 76ers some issues yesterday. I mean, look, they only scored what they, they didn't bring 100. You know, if the Nets could have just knocked down some open shots, then there's no way that the 76ers would have won that game. Okay, bringing the doubles, making other guys make shots. I think that's how they're going to beat them. Or that's how, you know, these other teams are going to be, end up beating the 76ers. You know, the Sixers just, they got, you know, they had a great performance from Tyrese Maxey last night, and that's why they won the game. Yeah, I thought the Nets did a good job of limiting Joel Embiid. But as the 76ers move on and they play against teams that actually have the bodies to match up with Embiid, they're, I think they're going to be in some real trouble because they just don't have enough offensive creation outside of Joel Embiid. Their entire offense in Games 1 and Games 2 of this series, has it's all been creative off of Joel Embiid being doubled. And look, the Nets have to double him every time down, so they're getting wide-open cuts to the basket, wide-open threes from the corner. I mean, the offense is just really easy. I'm kind of waiting on the Nets to adjust. You know, they tried the doubling thing here in these first two games. Kind of waiting for them to switch to a, what if we just let Embiid go get 50 and we stop everybody else? I'm, I'm waiting to see that. I think that fits their personnel better as well with how many good wing defenders they have. But we'll see what they end up doing. Either way, though, as the Sixers move on and they take on Milwaukee, right, who has Brooke Lopez to throw an Embiid, Giannis can guard Embiid for short stretches. They have options to throw his way. On top of that, they have the wing defenders as well to step out onto the perimeter and limit Maxi and Harden. When we look at the Celtics, they have multiple bodies to throw at Embiid, and they have multiple wing defenders to step out onto the perimeter and stay in front of Maxi and Harden. The Nets only have one. They only have good, good wing defenders. They don't have anybody with the weight to really hold down Joel Embiid, even though no one really holds down Joel Embiid. But you know what I mean. Okay, you don't trust anybody on this Nets team to defend Joel Embiid one-on-one. Whereas in Milwaukee, Brooke Lopez can go a few stretches where he has to defend Joel Embiid one-on-one. It's the same thing in Boston. Okay, you trust Robert Williams to defend Joel Embiid one-on-one from time to time if you need him to. The Nets don't have that option, and that's ultimately why they're going to lose this series. So we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk Warriors-Kings. It's been the best series so far. Game two last night was incredible. Got some really good stats for you to really break that one down. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt. And we're back with more Shooting the Schmidt. Let's start with where everybody's going to start at with this game. Draymond Green. 
in the stomp on DeMontis Sabonis. Was the stomp by Draymond Green dirty? Yes. Did Sabonis deserve it? Yes. And I will stand by that. Have you ever played pickup basketball? Have you ever gone to LA Fitness, you know, Vasa, wherever you play ball, church league on Sundays, whatever you do? Have you ever played basketball before? If you have, then answer this question. In what scenario does a guy grabbing somebody else's leg end pretty? What scenario does it not end up in some sort of physical altercation? Whether it's a stomp, whether it's, you know, going down to the ground after him, whether it's waiting for him to stand up and giving him a shove. And like, in, in what situation, on what planet does that not end in some sort of physical altercation? Now, I think part of the reason why this is such a big deal is because it was Draymond Green who did it, and he's got the history of kicking guys and things like that. But come on, like, if, you, if you've played pickup basketball at any capacity, in any sort of competitive environment, then you know that there was no way that DeMontis Sabonis was going to grab Draymond Green's leg and nothing happen. I think it's ridiculous. If like, if you want to call Draymond Green dirty for doing that, sure, fine. Was it dirty? Sure. Whatever you want. But there are guys who get upset during pickup basketball games about stuff like this. Okay, now take the same altercation that you get upset about or your buddy gets upset about playing pickup basketball and then amplify it by a thousand because the Warriors are getting beat. They're down 1-0. They know that they're on the brink, probably about to lose game two. And then Sabonis does this. And you really expect for Draymond Green, one of the most reactionary players in the NBA to not retaliate? Like, come on. Okay, Shaquille O'Neal after the game, said that he would have done the exact same thing, whether it was dirty or not. You can't just grab somebody's leg and then expect for nothing to happen to you. That just isn't how it works. Especially when that player's leg that you grab is Draymond freaking green. Moving on. The Warriors aren't going to win this series. There's no way. Tonight, with five minutes, or last night, excuse me, last night, when there was five minutes and 50 seconds left in the game, the, the score was tied 95-95. to 95. Saturday, with five minutes and 50 seconds left in the game, the score was tied 105-105. to 105. In the final five minutes and 50 seconds of each game in this series, the Kings have outscored the Warriors... A combined 40 to 29. And, you know, I was talking to one of my buddies last night. And it just feels like once you get inside five minutes, the Kings just aren't allowed to miss. They just don't miss. And it's pretty obvious as to why they don't miss. The Warriors lack the perimeter defenders to stay in front of Malik Monk, Davion Mitchell, or De'Aaron Fox. The Kings can get dribble penetration whenever they want. They can get to the rim with one of those three guards. It's usually Fox. Sometimes it's Monk. But they can get to the rim with one of those three guys whenever they want to. And when you spread the floor with shooters, as well as the Kings do, there's no answer. 
Because either De'Aaron Fox is going to go, he's going to go by, you know, whoever's defending him, whether it's Gary Payton or Andrew Wiggins or Steph or Clay, it it, it hasn't mattered. Whoever has guarded De'Aaron Fox has gotten absolutely toasted every time he's tried to stay in front of the guy. He goes by everybody. He goes by whoever's defending him, and then he can, you know, pull up for his little 15-foot jump shot, which has been butter. His jump shot has gotten so much better since he was at Kentucky. Golly. He can pull up for the little jumper. He's He's got a good floater game. He can finish around bigger defenders. Or, if you bring the help, he can kick it. And Harrison Barnes can knock down open threes. Davion Mitchell can knock down open threes. Malik Monk can knock down open threes. I mean, there's. I don't know how you defend this Kings offense, or really any offense in general, when you can't stop the basketball. If you can't limit dribble penetration, you are going to give up a lot of open looks, and a lot of open looks at the NBA level leads to a lot of points. They're averaging 20 points in the final 5 minutes and 50 seconds a game. That's like, that's a lot. That's a lot. And the question is, well, Jonathan, like if they're able to do this late, why don't they just do this the entire game? Well, you know, asking you know De'Aaron Fox to go one-on-one for 40 minutes a night, is that's a lot to put on a guy's plate. And their offense, through you know the first... You know, let me do math. Through the first 42 minutes and 10 seconds is really good. It, like, there's a reason why they're ranked number one in offensive efficiency this year. There's a reason why they're the highest scoring offense in the NBA this year at 121 points a game. This offense is really good, and they're trying so hard on defense. They pressure the ball so well. The Warriors have turned the ball over 37 times this year. When you look at the top 10 ranked defenders... In terms of guys who pressure the ball the most, Davion Mitchell and De'Aaron Fox are both ranked in the top 10. They pressure the ball, they speed you up, and they turn you over. And they play fast. And they have the guys to play fast. De'Aaron Fox is probably the fastest player in the league. Davion Mitchell is extremely fast. Malik Monk gets up and down the floor quickly. Sabonis is a big, moves really well, and he's able to maintain that pace along with the guards. Harrison Barnes likes to play fast. They they just they play so fast, they are up and down, and then the ball pops, boom, 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 boom. Open three. They are so much fun to watch. And look, I'll be honest, coming into the series, I had the Warriors. It's like, you know what? Championship experience. You know, they you know, they'll they'll win their road games in the playoffs. At some point the Kings are gonna kinda like falter, you know, regular season stats, offense, blah. Give me the Warriors. But man, the Kings just don't flinch. They don't flinch. And it's so much fun to watch. De'Aaron Fox does not care. There's a reason why he led the league in clutch scoring this year. Part of that, large part of that, is because nobody can stay in front of the guy. He just goes by everybody. And it's so impressive. And then the defensive intensity. Just the way that these two teams play defense, it's just it's polar opposite. Right? This, you know, Kings team who has struggled defensively all year, they look very well collected on the defensive end. Whereas the Warriors defensively are scrambling all over the place. All over the place. It's been an incredible series. You know, obviously, I don't think the Kings are going to sweep the Warriors. The Warriors are going to come out and win Game Three. You know, they're at home, backs against the wall. 
they'll come out, they'll score a whole bunch of points, the defensive intensity will be up, the Kings will, you know, it's their first road game for most of these guys. A lot of these guys don't have a ton of playoff experience. Darren Fox, this is the first playoff series ever. Malik Monk doesn't have a lot of playoff experience. DeMontis Sabonis doesn't have a lot of playoff experience. Harrison Barnes is really the only guy on the roster who was, you know, made a deep run in the playoffs. Alex Lynn doesn't have a lot of playoff experience. Davion Mitchell doesn't have any playoff experience. Keegan Murray doesn't have any playoff experience. And it does not matter. They do not flinch. And it has been just so incredibly entertaining. It's been a high level of basketball being played by both teams. It's been awesome to watch. So that's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to hear more from me, you can check me out on YouTube at Shooting the Schmidt, spelled just how you spell the podcast. Feel free to head over there. We got, you know, content coming on in there pretty often as well. So once again, thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you all again on Thursday.